Hey, and welcome back to another Docs Who Lift podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Spencer Nadolski, and I got my co-host here, Dr. Carl Nadolski Jr. And today, we are going to be talking about the diagnosis of obesity. So you don't just walk into a doctor's office and they look at you and they look at their BMI and say, obesity, that's not how it works. That's not how it's supposed to work. That's how it's not how it's supposed to work. Some uh, doctors may actually do that, and some doctors may not even look at you, and it might just be on your chart. And, uh, you know, I went through the whole primary care world where they made us do all these things and make sure we throw everything on your chart to, I don't know, for billing insurance. and Yeah, unfortunately, there's there are other factors at play. <laughs> you know, big insurance, big government, all that stuff that sometimes they... They sort of dictate what, what gets in there, I guess. I remember being in the hospital working, and they would make us put all these codes in here because otherwise they wouldn't get paid as much. I, same kind of thing. So so they may, you know, they may be putting pressure on the doctors to throw obesity on your chart if your BMI is whatever. So, okay, let's get into the diagnosis of it like from a true specialist. My brother's a specialist in obesity. He's also an endocrinologist. I'm a specialist in obesity medicine. So, what's the first step? Is it do you do do you do BMI first? Yeah. Well, so you know, BMI is is still part of uh, you know the vital signs and all that stuff for screening. But let's back up again, similar to our discussion on obesity as a disease. So, what is the basic definition of obesity? Well, we say that obesity is a multi-causal, chronic, relapsing, progressive disease defined by, this is key, by abnormal or excessive adiposity, fat tissue, that's due to long-term positive energy balance that impairs health, um, and it's distinguished by variable phenotypes and clinical presentations. So, you know, back in, um, if we just use, say, the American Association of Clinical Endocrinology that I'm involved with a lot, you know, back in 1998, uh, there were similar definitions that said obesity was a complex multifactorial condition characterized by excess body fat. You know, and then we get into the criteria for disease that we did last time, that it impairs normal functioning, characteristic signs and symptoms, hormone morbidity, and so that's when they go on to talk about it as a disease. So if we think about that definition, you know, what it is, then that can help us think about, well, how should it really be you know, diagnosed. And so historically, the BMI, the body mass index, has been shown in a lot of studies to be pretty good on a population level to give us sort of these thresholds at which point the amount of body fat causes harm, because that's what we actually care about, right? Yeah, we don't care about, I mean, we, we care about vanity. Most people care about the way they look. But, you know, from a cl- yeah. clinical standpoint, we want to make sure our patients are living healthful, long, quality lives. So, um, yeah, yeah no, I, I think that makes sense. So body mass body mass index, uh, kilograms over meter square. It's just a... Yeah, it's just a, a way to look at your height and weight to, compared to the population. At what point do these cause problems? So, for example, you know, if we look at some of those huge cohort studies, those J-shaped curves, if people know what that means... As you go from a low BMI to a high BMI, it's in that you know 24, 25 
uh, kilograms per meter squared, where you start to see that's kind of the lowest point of you know, disease or, or mortality, death, death risk. And then it starts to go up. And that's where some of this BMI stuff came from. But that's, that's on a population basis. And then, of course, the different ethnicities, different genetics um, have different thresholds. And so then, you know, we, we use lower thresholds, say, for, for Asians who store more of the fat uh, viscerally or ectopically in our muscles and liver and pancreas that drives the inflam inflammatory health problems that we talk about. And so then they actually have a positive screening at lower BMIs when we talk about the BMI. But again, on an individual basis. It's probably not as well known. You know, that that's something that we're, you know, someone comes in, an Asian, South Asian, comes into your office and according to a BMI, it looks like they're lean, thin, because, you know, we have our normal little charts here. And then you're like, wow. That's what the computer says. Uh, you know, the doctor's like, I don't know. I don't, they have, they have, they have, it looks like they have diabetes. Maybe it's type one because they don't realize the, 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 the adiposity uh, thresholds though. So I think that's important. So when, it, you know, so from a, from a screening standpoint, somebody comes in, yeah, the doctor should be assessing you, looking at you you get the easy calculation of a body mass index. Not perfect, we talked about this before. Doesn't show where you're storing the fat, doesn't show how much body fat, it's, but it's a good estimation on a population level. And it, and it does, it really does correlate with the amount of adiposity and that adiposity that's associated with metabolic syndrome, type two diabetes, coronary disease, mortality, etc. And so, you know, the classifications of obesity use BMI, generally speaking. So for most of the populations, you know, we say a BMI of 25 to 29.9 is in that classification of overweight. And we can debate these semantics at a much higher level, probably. And then class one obesity is 30 to 34.9, class two, 35 to uh, 39.9, and then 40 uh, kilograms per meter squared or above is class three obesity. And these are just classifications, you know, of where you fall in. Right. But if we go back to the, the guideline that I was involved in writing very specifically, when we talk about the screening for obesity and we say, okay, this person has a BMI over, say, 20, 25 or above, or if for some ethnicities, as we just mentioned, 23 kilograms per meter squared or above. The next step is on an individual basis to look at the patient. We have to look at the patient. Does this person have excess adiposity? So, um, you know, we I, I like to use, in fact, I was in a, a news article when they talked about Trump's, uh, President Trump's BMI a couple of years ago. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. And uh, somehow I got interviewed and I said, well, you know, you could you could have a 24-year-old a professional linebacker with a BMI of... 31 and he could be shredded and have only 6% body fat, you know, and so that's where all the fitness people get all bent out of shape because, for example, the docs who lift, we have BMIs that are certainly in the overweight classification if we had excess adiposity that was putting us at risk of health, but we, we don't. We have low body fat percentage. So what we said in those guidelines was use the BMI to screen and then talk to the patient about it, but then do a clinical exam. So a clinical interpretation of that body mass index. 
Is it indicative of excess adiposity based upon their age, gender, their muscles, uh, their hydration status, edema, which is uh, swelling? So you should actually look at your, look at the patient. Yeah, you just got to examine the patient, and and then and then you can tell. And then from there, then we talk about well, where is that weight being stored? And then we get more into the using other things like waist circumference or weight waist to height ratios to say well. This person has such and such a BMI. It seems like it's from excess adipose tissue, but maybe more importantly is where are they really storing all that weight? And that helps us know really more of the cardiometabolic risk. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, so whenever I do these lectures, I I show how the, you know, the BMI curves and then I show, but yeah, where you store the fats, probably more important as important, I'd say as important. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I'd say maybe more important. important. I'd, I'd say more important because so one of my favorite slides to show, and I know we can't show slides right now, but this is from uh, a huge pooled analysis of waist circumference and mortality in 650,000 adults. Now, these were Caucasian patients for what it's worth. So when we talk about some of those ethnicities, there's actually lower thresholds for waist circumference also that we can talk about. Yeah. But for any given category of BMI, and this was in, by for anybody who wants to look this up, the Mayo Clinic Proceedings 2014. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, we can put it in there. So, Because I think this is a, it's, it, there's a great graph. And so it goes through the different uh, categories of BMI, from low BMIs, 15 to 20, 20 to 22 and a half, et cetera. And, and it has the lowest mortality in that sort of that, almost that kind of that overweight uh, range, 25 to 27 and a half or so. And then it starts to go back up when it goes up. And the lower weights actually had elevated uh, mortality because we know that people who are dying, this is one of those reverse causality things we talk about. So when people are dying for other diseases, they tend to lose weight. Yeah. Well, but within each of these BMI categories, they looked at waist circumference. And the waist circumference was very linearly, essentially correlated with mortality within each one, no matter where you were, whether your BMI was low, whether it was kind of in the normal range, um, or if your BMI was starting to go up. Now, when your BMI gets above 35, the risk of uh, disease and mortality goes up so high, the waist circumference starts to become a little bit, you know, a little bit more obsolete and, and doesn't matter as much. But especially under 35 and, and really even more so, uh, you know, under 30 and below, uh, the waist circumference is very important, I think, to really show that, hey, this, this person, regardless of their BMI, has abdominal obesity, I would call it, and has an increased risk of those adiposity-based diseases we talk about. Yeah, this, this is what, you know, we get, we get a lot of patients and, you know, usually women, um, they'll be like, my legs and my hips are kind of big. And I kind of want to lose them, but their their upper body is very you know lean. Their abdomen kind of lean relatively. You look at their waist circumference; it doesn't go outside. And, and sometimes pretty thin waists. Yeah, and so it's actually it, it's probably protective. Yeah. Well, so we talk about the the healthy peripheral fat cells having different thresholds of ability to store fat and be insulin sensitive and things like that. And and there are a lot of genetics that are involved with this. Yeah. And yeah, it's that sort of that female pear shape versus the the male 
apple shape, but um, but it can happen either way. There are there are guys who certainly have uh, say healthier peripheral adipose storage abilities, and females that have more of the visceral uh, tendencies and store their weight there. Yeah, I store mine in my love handle, so I'm kind of screwed. So <laughs> at least that's that's I still think that's partly uh, peripheral. But the, but those people usually do have better metabolic health. You know, and then this could get into the whole metabolic healthy obesity too that we don't need to necessarily dive into today. Yeah, so I mean, this is just another reason why you go into the doctor's office. They should be going, and insurance companies too, by the way. They should be, you know, if they see your BMI is a little bit elevated in that overweight category or even that uh, class one obesity category, yeah, should be assessing where this adiposity is, just as my brother said. Because that's it's actually really important, extremely important. So does the patient... Do you or does the patient have actually excess adiposity based upon that BMI? Do they have an elevated waist circumference to say, well, where's that fat being stored? Um, and then also, you know, something I think uh, that doesn't get quite enough maybe attention is the whole sarcopenic obesity issue. And that's for people who don't have enough yeah. muscle. Sarcopenic just means there's not enough muscle because we certainly do have um, thin, thin patients, low muscle patients who have a lot of that visceral adiposity. They might have elevated waist circumference, and they might have a relatively low BMI. But those people often have some of the highest risks for health. Yeah. And maybe maybe it has to do with maybe they were smoking and they have excess adiposity and low muscle mass. You know, as the docs who lift, we're shills for weight training and more muscle. Muscle's healthy. So I always tell our patients, right, we tell them, don't get caught up on the weight, on the scale so much. You know, um, exercise is medicine. We want more muscle, whether it makes you gain muscle or lose fat, um, regardless. But, um, you know, it's just something else to think about, that sarcopenic obesity category. So Okay, so you get, the, you, you get your height when you go into the doctor. You get your weight. They do a BMI. If you're lucky, probably not going to happen, but you should be getting a waist circumference. They should be looking at you. You know, why not get a, a DEXA scan then? Why is it, that's always the, the question. Why isn't everybody just getting a DEXA scan and getting it over with? Because that does a much better job at assessing body composition. Yeah, so it's it's certainly reasonable. So if we go back to those guidelines we talked about, if you really can't clinically tell if the person has excess adiposity and where they're storing it, then yeah, we do have uh, body composition techniques that are not perfect, by the way. DEXA is probably pretty good. You know, we have uh, those bioelectrical impedance scales that I just don't think are the data are that good for as far as like uh, consistency and accuracy. I'm just not a huge fan uh, of those personally. Um, on a broad scale clinical basis, I just don't think a lot of this stuff is clinically necessary. Necessary. It just isn't. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we should be able to, you know, do a BMI, do a waist circumference, look at somebody and say, okay, is there excess adipose tissue that we need to be worried about? And then what we really need to care about is, uh, you know, what's on the inside that counts. And that gets to the clinical component of actually staging the severity of disease. Right. Okay. So let's get into, let's get into staging then. Because we we just did the anthropomorph anthropomorphic measures, meaning um, you know the body body measures. You you can do circumferences, you can do weight height, can do dexas even if you want. But now we get into staging the clinical impact of adiposity on your health. So how would you start doing that? What can you explain the stages? 
Well, so yeah, first of all, we, we want to think about this from a complication-centric approach of obesity. So what harm is a person at risk of or already having what kind of diseases that are driven by adiposity, the obesity complications? So if we think about the cardiometabolic uh, complications that, we're, that people are very familiar with, so prediabetes, hypertension, dyslipidemia, type 2 diabetes... Uh, coronary disease. Uh, we can even lump in uh, non-alcoholic fatty liver. Yeah. Um, all these things. We should be screening anybody who we think has obesity or tight or uh, um, you know excess adiposity for those. On the other hand, and this is where it goes the other way, if someone has those diseases that are generally due to obesity, then we should be screening for obesity. So then maybe we should say, oh, your BMI's. 26, oh, okay, there's there's excess adiposity. Well, maybe now we measure the waist circumference and say, okay, these are obesity-related complications. And so, yeah, if we talk about staging, now there are several different staging uh, methods, though. So we can talk about the Edmonton obesity staging system. Yeah, I mean, I would just say, like, in, so, okay, yeah, there's a couple different ways to stage this. There's different criteria, whatever. The, the most then, common one is our ACE staging. Yeah, the, the, the most, when you say stage, stage zero, it means you have no complications. As far as we can tell, no complications from your weight. You, we have no elevations in your blood pressure. We have no uh, dysglycemia, no no impaired fasting uh, glucose, no glucose intolerance, no prediabetes, no yeah, no prediabetes, no no signs of uh, of fatty liver. Although you'd probably have to do this would be a good discussion because people that actually you think they have metabolically healthy obesity, you could do an ultrasound and they may actually have uh, um, some signs of. We can start. We can start to find stuff. Yeah, that's that's the thing. That's and that's why that's why we still would treat someone who has real stage zero, even though they don't have any true complications, but they do have risk. Right. Especially if they have that elevated waist circumference, and that's why we do these things because it's like, what are we doing? We're not just treating yeah. people's weight because we care about the number on the scale. We care about the health consequences. Yep. Of it. Exactly. So, so yeah. So all those cardiometabolic things, but also arthritis, knee arthritis, and these are things that we can uh, either prevent or improve with weight loss. By the way, right. That's a, that's an important uh, point. Cancer, by the way, o obesity increases the risk of cancer, and we're starting to see some evidence come out now that um, weight loss does probably reduce those risks, as we would hope and expect by the way. So yeah. those complications lead us to then say, well, are they mild or moderate? And the ACE staging that I that I like to use, then we would say, well, that's a stage one. So it's kind of a you know mild to moderate complications. But if you have severe complications, like if you have every component of metabolic syndrome, then you're at that much higher risk of progressing to type 2 diabetes and having cardiovascular disease. If you already have type 2 diabetes, if you have severe sleep apnea, severe arthritis, all these things, those are severe complications of obesity. And so then the ACE staging that we use, that would be stage two. And so I don't care what your BMI classification is per se, but I care about the patient's severity of disease or the risk of it. And so that's where those stagings comes, come in. And then that can help us uh, guide the intensity of, of therapy. So the severity of disease can help us guide intensity of therapy, whether it's 
intensive behavioral modification, medication, surgery. Yeah. So the Edmonton staging, they go up to stage four, right? And it's it's interesting. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't really matter. I, I think we could simplify it. And, and that's why I like to do the zero, one, and two. It, it kind of, it kind of simplifies it because Edmonton also, you know, that last stage, it's, it's basically end stage, <laughs> like right. end stage heart failure. I mean, there's a, end stage kidney disease and we can't really do much about it at that time. So we want to be able to encompass a little bit more on the spectrum and be able to help prevent some of the, the downstream uh, problems. Yeah. You know, the, the interesting thing is when they graph this out, because this is when I do my little presentations too, you know, I show all the anthropomorphic measures and then I show it clinically when we stage it out, you do see that those, hey, if you're stage zero... And you stay at a stage zero, mm-hmm. your your health span and your lifespan's not that bad. When you start going up the stages, and it seems obvious, but right. regardless of your BMI, it start your mortality starts going up, yeah. and, uh, and and all sorts of th- all all the complications start going up. Mortality, yeah. morbidity, uh, and that's why you know we care clinically what's going on more so than the actual thing on the scale, the, the scale weight, but yeah. So, yeah. So, so from a bottom line standpoint, you know, the diagnosis of obesity, I think should include, uh, you know, the clinical examination. You can use the BMI to classify the obesity. You can include the waist circumference to help know the risk of the obesity and then, uh, you know, stage it stage zero, stage one, stage two for the ACE, uh, staging system for this. And that can help uh, help guide both the physician, the healthcare team, and the patient with the level of intensity uh, necessary to lose the weight um, to prevent or treat those uh, obesity-related complications. Yeah. So if you're a bodybuilder listening to this and you're like, my BMI is 31, well, you're probably still at risk for some of those uh, sleep apnea and some of those other things. So, you know... I remember when I was wrestling, when I was a heavyweight, I, you know, I was still pretty, you could still see some blurry, blurry abs. They weren't, they weren't like my brothers, but they were blurry. You could still see them. <laughs> I was like 250 and my BMI was like, whatever, 30, I don't know, 31 or 32. I, I'm not sure what it was. It was, it was elevated. <laughs> yeah. And definitely. I think though my blood pressure, it wasn't, it wasn't under 120 already. It was probably like 125 over 85. It was getting close. You were, it, was, it was getting you were, a little. You had, yeah, you had stage one, uh, class, class one, stage one obesity when you were a heavyweight wrestler. <laughs> it's true. I mean, and, and then I, pro- I, I probably, my neck was huge. Too. Well, just huge. Our next, we, we, we have pretty, pretty much sure I had sleep it. apnea. Yeah. Well, but then, but the moral of the story is that you were done wrestling and you knew that it was very important to be healthy, you know, and so you continued to eat well, but, you know, were able to uh, eat less, keep exercising really well. And because you have good metabolic flexibility and you don't have some of the underlying genetic issues and you were able to really conquer it with lifestyle, um, you know, you were able to get pretty lean. But I still used you because I didn't want to use myself for sure, but I used you as uh, my case when I gave this presentation at the National ACE meeting after our guidelines were published six years ago. And, uh, you know, you were you were a 32-year-old Caucasian male. I, I called you a former college athlete. And I, I had you at 6'2", 233 at the time. You're lighter than that now, aren't you? You're like 220, 215? Yeah, I'm like 215. 
Yeah, I feel I feel pretty good where I am. So I and maybe I put you at that because it was perfect because because that put your BMI at thirty kilograms per meter squared. But you are a very healthy, lean, truly lean person. I, I have something else to say about that term lean, by the way. But um but I had your blood pressure down as one sixteen over seventy. I had your waist circumference eighty nine centimeters. And I don't know if anybody really cares about the waist circumference thresholds. We could talk about those at what point, you know, we, we care about those, you know being positive. Uh, and I said, your exam was otherwise unremarkable. And most importantly, you know, clinically, you had no sugar issues, no dysglycemia, your triglycerides were really low, no dyslipidemia, you had good HDL. Um, and you were, you were very physically fit and, and still are. And so that's important. And, and so fitness is also, you know, you hear the term fitness over fatness too, right? Uh, people have probably heard that term. Um, that's another reason why, you know, people who do have obesity, um, and let's say they have stage one or even stage, uh, you know, stage zero, stage one or stage two, sometimes without a change in weight, just improving diet and, and really good fitness can lower the stage, the severity of disease, even without a lot of weight loss. Yeah. I got a lot. That's, that's kind of what, you know, my lift RX program is just trying to get people to just start getting into fitness. Just just start lifting some weights, start walking. If we can get you into the aerobic training, fine, that's great. But like, yeah. And so there's there's a lot of people that will just um cardiorespiratory fitness and strength and everything improves, and that's uh extremely yeah. important and stuff you those can't are, necessarily those are really important. Yeah. It's it's hard to measure that. Like so then you go into the doctor's office and your your scale weight may not change and they'll be like, You gotta you gotta start losing weight and you're like, Man, I've already gotten healthier. So it, that that can be disappointing when the doctor doesn't give you. We should be monitoring those things. And add a boy yeah. or add a girl or whatever, um, you know. So yeah, and so for for doctors listening to this, we got to be cognizant of that. I think. What what are the waist circumference cutoffs? We got the usual is thirty five for women, forty for for men. But there's yeah, so probably more I, nuance I here. If prefer you... to you know, I, I like to use the um, you know the the International Diabetes Federation. Uh, cutoffs personally because they include Europid, so kind of the, the Caucasian, um, and and this is similar to the World Health Organization too. Um, by the way, there are slight differences in where you measure these. <laughs> by the way, so people don't need to get too caught up in that. But um, those those are both ninety four centimeters for men, which is thirty seven inches, and eighty centimeters uh, for females. But then when we when we talk about um, the Asian populations. Uh, 90 centimeters for men and 80 centimeters uh, for the females. And then there's some other nuances out there. And, um, you know, there a lot of different studies are trying to come up with good criteria that can really help us, you know, predict the risk of these things. But it starts to get a little bit convoluted and, and complicated. So um, for now, I think people are pretty much sticking, sticking to those. I, li I like those better than the, the U.S. You know the ATP three. Those are those are kind of old and actually a little bit higher than what I would suggest because I mean we might as well have a little bit lower threshold to help you know have a little bit more intensity to work on those for people. Yeah, 40, 40 is pretty high. I, I'd say the you know good cutoff is thirty eight. <laughs> That's kind of, kind of a good number, but yeah. Well, you kind of came up with that out of your butt. I don't know. What no, 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 no. That's that's one of the that's that's one of the consensus. That's one one of the people. That's that's one of the cutoffs. That was the memeology health organization of America. <laughs> no, I no, I, I'm not just pulling that out. It's a, I can't remember. Whatever. It's, 
so yeah, so you okay, so there you have it. There you have it. You learned how I had obesity at one point. Well, and, and I do so I, I I do think we should let me let me compare that though. So your case that I used and let me compare that to the case two that I had because I think I think it gives a good uh, contrast a little bit. So I I I had a 40-year-old Asian male who has a family history of type 2 diabetes and coronary disease. He's 5'8", 165, which put his BMI at 25. So remember, we talked about the lower BMI thresholds for risk, especially specifically cardiometabolic risk for people with the Asian ethnicity. His blood pressure was 140 over 90. His waist circumference, after we just talked about those numbers, was 94 centimeters. Remember, for Asians, uh, male, 90 centimeters is, is that threshold. And uh, his fasting glucose was 110. His hemoglobin A1C was 6.1. For those uh, patients listening to this, those are in that pre-diabetes range. Uh, his triglycerides were 160, which is a little elevated. He had a low HDL, so a low good cholesterol, 39. And uh, I threw in a two-hour glucose tolerance test of 155, again, in that pre-diabetes range. So we could argue that he, while he might have class you know, we could even call it class overweight because uh, he actually wouldn't even be into the class one Asian obesity. Uh, but he has abdominal obesity and he has all the components of metabolic syndrome. We could we could argue that he has stage two fairly severe adiposity-based chronic disease, which is why, you know, ACE adopted that term um, because people don't quite understand, well, obesity, the BMI stuff. But he has se- severe disease compared to a very low-fat, lean you know, athlete who has a BMI of 30. And so we need to acknowledge that and um, both as patients and doctors and nurses and dietitians and everything. And, um, you know, he has a, he has a high disease risk. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of why you contrast the two uh, types of people. It shows, it shows a big difference there. So it's ethnicity wise and also uh, clinically, you can see the big difference there. And and why we have all have different fat thresholds and why the doctor if the thing is I don't the obesity specialist will know how to do this I, you know the primary care doctor should you know should listen to this podcast and learn how to do it but I, I understand time is you know um, there are legit CMEs out there I mean you know we'll have education from ACE obesity society endocrine society all these different places on uh, you know that are a little bit more formal. Uh, with with teaching primary care, I mean, we really do need to do a better job of teaching, uh, you know, just a little bit of this nuance to primary care, so we're we're getting it right. Well, so if you're a patient, though, you should be like, hey, uh, Doctor Smith, listen to this DoxuLift podcast. <laughs> listen to yeah. this. Listen to this guy. Spread our propaganda. And then go watch. Go look at Doctor Spencer's memes. He'll teach you. He'll learn you something. All right. So anyway, all right. That's all we got for today. Uh, Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe, share with your friends, give us a rating, uh, and then share this with some doctors so they can learn how to classify obesity. All right. Till next time. Adios.